It's Thursday, and you know what that means. That means it's time to ignite the dynamite the day after the dynamite. And look who I've got with me. It's Mr. Phil Lindsay joining Will Washington right here on Day After Dynamite. What's up, Phil? Hey, man. You couldn't get enough of us. Couldn't get enough black people on your on your screens. We're here for you. <laughs> oh, that's right. This was an interesting episode of Dynamite, right? One might even say it was Dynamite on BET. Coming to two, six nights a week. Get your laugh on. What a reference. What a reference. Uh, I, I saw people called it. They were like, this is BET Dynamite. And um, I just, that immediately hit me. Um yeah, because this this was an interesting episode of Dynamite all around. Uh, did everything work? That's up for debate. Uh, but you know, was it interesting? Did was ATL more than anything uh, <laughs> interesting? Did they come through? I feel like so, especially seeing, I guess, without spoilers, uh, what happens on Rampage this week. With uh, another rapper who wasn't even advertised. None of the rappers here were advertised. But uh, we just had people showing up on Dynamite. Uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a it was fun. I think I was worried at first because I was like, man, they could, they're they're playing up this Shark Week thing. But all the Shark Week stuff was fun. I think opening the episode with Westside Gun immediately right on the screen and mm-hmm. his daughter with the Shark Shark Week uh, fin on. I thought that was fun. Yeah, you know what uh, was getting me, honestly? I know Red is Raw and Blue is SmackDown. But I have to say, the blue graphics on the Dynamite set worked to me better than any of the graphics they've had so far. I thought the blue was... It just looked nice. It looked nice on the Dynamite set and having Fighter Fest have the, the underwater graphics and like... I thought that, so. They had the video ramp this week. That was interesting. I hope that stays a part of the set because it looked like uh, it was fixed in a way that they could use it every week. Uh, and so you had just these blue graphics all around. And I don't know. They were working for me. I thought that if AEW can in the future find a way to incorporate blue, like I know they want kind of their own identity with the colors. They've got the purple, black, and gold uh, all throughout. But I don't know. Uh, hey, but with this being Day After Dynamite, don't forget, leave us a thumbs up uh, right here on Fightful Overbooked. Um, and also, uh, send us your Super Chats and your uh, your Humpers and anything else that uh, you want to get out on this show. As we talk about Dynamite, the day after the Dynamite, uh, talking about in the chat, saying I did like the blue aesthetic. Like I said, it looked good. Um, I don't know. Something about the blue was just clicking for me. Uh, but the show kicked off with one-on-one. Oh, look at you, Phil, getting the compliments in the in the chat. Uh, you know, I don't know if I am the go. You know, maybe one of the goats. You know, you know, I'll take uh, it. So we started off uh, started off strong with Brody King one-on-one with Darby Allen. Um, yeah, this was great. I, I thought that uh, it's, uh, I was worried how repetitive this was going to be because we've seen um, Darby get ragged out by Brody. But I thought they did a good job of making the spots look unique, um, like like him coming off the ropes and taking that massive clothesline and just like getting flipped inside out. Some of the stuff on the outside was great. 
Um, and I really like the finish. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking, I'm not sure what direction I thought this was going to go in, but uh, it seems to be a little bit clearer that they want Brody to be a bigger force than I thought um, he was ever going to be. You know, I figured he'd just be the muscle of House of Black, but ultimately, you know, it was going to be Malachi who um, ends up mattering here. But the fact that uh, Brody got to not only show out here, not only got to ragdoll the hell out of Darby, but then he beat him, right? Like, I thought ultimately Darby was going to do what Darby does best and uh, have his comeback, and he didn't. Yeah. Um, what did you think of him, his entrance? And I thought it was really cool that they had him come out and they were saying honoring the House of Black, not being a part of House of Black. That was interesting, too. Yeah, uh, I I liked uh, that little phrasing was just a tad bit different. But uh, yeah, overall, I was surprised by the finish. And with being surprised by the finish, uh, that that's ultimately what I like out of pro wrestling, right? Um, especially with the, 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 the normal Darby spot of Darby being close to being counted out and then uh, him making that last second sprint to the ring only to then just get taken back in and beat one, two, three. Yeah. But it wasn't over here because uh, Brody continues to beat down on Darby. Out comes Sting. And uh, just as Sting goes to make the save, lights out, we are greeted by uh, Malachi. And Malachi does this thing to Sting. But, oh, and they're talking about, I guess they've been using the honoring thing for Julia Hart as well. Uh, so that's cool. Um, but then out comes Miro. Because for those who've been paying attention, Miro has been having these promos about the House of Black and his problems with the House of Black. And so Miro comes out and stares down the House of Black. He's got his um, sunglasses on, and it's clear one lens is kind of foggy. So uh, something going on with his eye after having been uh, misted by Malachi at Forbidden Door crowd was spooky. cheering spooky <laughs> <laughs> spooky dude uh hey i i like it i like the teasing they're doing i don't think he's going to join house of black i think no, he's I ultimately think so, going to uh turn essentially face, turn face here because yeah. uh house of black are heels um but i liked everything they did i i think everything they build too is interesting i'm i'm here for malachi versus sting no, how, regardless how we get that it seems like it's going to be a six-man match is yeah, I, I could see it being a six man. Makes perfect um, sense to me. But yeah, I I liked it. I I liked um certain stuff like uh, man, I thought at first when Brody repeated the finish of the battle royal, I thought, all right, well, he's gonna get back in the ring and he's gonna figure out how to win. Nope, he just got back in the ring and just got destroyed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I loved it. Um, and so. Yeah, for this match, uh, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with it. This gets a solid B for me. I absolutely enjoyed in the pleasant surprise of Darby losing. Uh, and it's not to say that I wanted Darby to lose. It's just that I felt like we've seen it before where Darby, he's, he's good at overcoming. He's good at making the comeback, and he didn't here. And 
I enjoyed that. It was a little bit different. Yeah, uh, I agree. And so, uh, let's see. What do we have next? There was, ah, yes, tag match. John Moxley teamed with Wheeler Utah of the Blackpool Combat Club. They took on Wheeler Utah's former running mates, best friends, Chuck Taylor and uh, Trent Beretta. What was interesting here, more than anything else, was the decision to have best friends not only work as heels here, it felt like, but work in the, the showcase position. And for those who don't know what that is, a little bit of wrestling insight here. So when a tag match is structured, um, you usually have one team whose primary member is face, or whose, I won't say primary member, but whose uh, outside member is always facing the hard camera. And then right. you have one member whose back is to the hard camera. Typically, it's baby faces or somebody whose persona you're trying to show a change in, and uh, because you want them, you want to be able to pick up on their facial expressions on the ring apron. And so it was interesting that best friends were in that position here, and it was almost like they wanted us to see uh, the kind of change in their demeanor, especially with uh, with Trent and how much he wanted to target. Uh, Wheeler Yuta, a guy who he was vocally against uh, even being a member of the Best Friends. Uh, he had a piece of sh shit on his tights representing him and the Best Friends. Uh, it was very clear he was against him for a very long time. And yeah, this was the most aggressive we've seen Best Friends work really since the start of AEW. What did you think of this? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this match. I really liked all of the callbacks to his time with best friends. It's one of those things where AEW is really great at rewarding you for paying attention um, and basically watching everything. Like, if you watch BTE and you know from the beginning, Trent has never liked Yuta. Um, right. And I know they said on commentary, but I was sitting there the whole time, like, he has really never liked this guy. <laughs> and so the second he got in the ring, it felt like a grudge match. And I really liked um, the fact that not only did Yuta pin Wheeler and then pinned him, with a maneuver he taught him, but... Oh, uh, Chuck, you mean? Yeah, Chuck, sorry. Yeah. Um, pin Chuck, but I thought that was great because it's like, all right, well, now you can get him versus Trent one-on-one someday because you haven't exhausted that finish. Yeah, um, and that was a, a great finish, but the match just overall was, was super aggressive. Um, like I said, it was the most aggressive we've seen best friends work pretty much the uh, entire existence of AEW. Um, and it was kind of a side of Chuck Taylor that, you know, if you've been watching the Indies over the last 15 years, you knew Chuck had this side in him, but I feel like AEW hasn't really allowed us to see that out of Chuck Taylor. And so it was kind of great to see that. Uh, and yeah, there, there was obviously the grudge held with, with Wheeler Yuta, and that's ultimately what it was. Uh, Wheeler got to prove resilient. He took a lot a lot, a lot of offense, um, but ultimately, uh, in the build to um, to death before death dishonor this Saturday, or this Saturday, uh, Wheeler won with a pure wrestling maneuver and mm. uh, one that he was taught, yeah, uh, as noted on commentary by Orange Cassidy, uh, by Chuck Taylor. That was how he won. 
Blackpool Combat Club got the victory. And John Moxley, again, got the showcase. Like I keep saying, the most present champion AEW's ever had. The fact that uh, he's just out here every week with the gold. He's the champion. Sometimes you'll see him in the main event. Sometimes you'll see him in the opening. Sometimes you'll see him in a match in the middle of the show. But regardless, the champ shows up and competes. He feels like the champion. And uh, are you trying to say there are champions other places that are not on TV? <laughs> but even in AEW, you know, we've had champions. That, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Know, but, but even still, like in AEW, you know, I feel like Hangman's appearances were kind of few and far between, right? Like he didn't wrestle that often. They treated him like an attraction uh, when he wrestled, and like that—that's one approach to a champion, but. Uh, to me, I feel like seeing just a full-on present world champion who's there every week, Who, whether he's cutting a promo, whether he's in a match. And Moxley's having matches. Moxley's out there with the gold, having matches every week. I love it. Uh, and the Moxley, like, he'll have a, a really solid argument for the, uh, as they're saying in the chat, that CM Punk return, that when Punk is back, uh, Moxley will have a very strong argument to being the champion. Like one of the things I love that Regal's doing when he's on commentary is that Regal will not address him as interim champion. Regal is like, no, he is the champion. Uh, And even as uh, everybody else will say the interim champion, John Moxley, William Regal will straight up say, no, this man is the world champion of AEW. You see that gold he's holding. That's the world title. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm already looking forward to the promos between Punk and Marks. They're going to be great. Yes, uh, that's got to be our all-out main event. I mean, it's interesting with all of the rumors hitting uh, that all-out is suddenly shaping to be. And I see the smirk forming on Phil Lindsay because uh, I was like, oh, I'm not going to all-out this year. And now it's like shaping up to be this like incredible show hey, in the sense of, you mean to tell me this is the show that I'm going to possibly see Brian Danielson CM Punk as mentioned before and Kenny Omega back oh yeah. my god yeah we, we went from not having all three of those guys at Forbidden Door <laughs> to possibly having them a few months later at the now arena um, hey not as great of an arena but I'll take it I'll take the win like now's not I've been to Now Arena. Here's the thing. This is this, I, I mentioned this will be the first All Out at Now that I end up missing. Um, and, you know, I've made the trip to Chicago. I know uh, Hoffman Estates. I always pick the same hotel, and I make it easy on myself. I usually... Uh, I wasn't... I wasn't walking distance from the arena just because of the traffic I'd have to cross, but it was like a three-minute drive for me mm-hmm. from the arena to my hotel. I was walking distance from that venue where, like, Effie's Big Gay Brunch was. Like, I literally just walked there. Um, and uh, I know that there's going to be some wrestling at that venue. Yeah, got this GCW shows coming yeah. up that weekend as well. We also got uh, Black Wrestlers Matter in the city on Friday, and I think there is an AAW show on Thursday. So a lot of wrestling in Chicago that weekend. A lot of wrestling in Chicago that weekend. So it's going to be a cool weekend. Uh, and <sighs> I'm going to be so mad if I end up at the show. 
<laughs> oh, you know, I'm just going to be... St- in, in any picture we take together, I'm just going to be sitting next to him like... <laughs> Um, like, there's a piece of me that wants to see, like, all of it, right? Like, um, you know, I love Kenny. Uh, I I don't want to miss, you know, I, I've gotten to see uh, some great major Kenny moments and matches in person. And to think that I could see his return match, assuming this is the return match and he doesn't, like, wrestle on Dynamite first. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm... Uh, it's going to be know, a cool time. Hey, could always Shout wait, out. you know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely probably going to be in New York, so maybe I'll see you in New York. New York, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I am uh, going to New York. I actually just looked. I'm basically just planning my return flights now. Like I got one flight in my cart that is that's really cheap. Like would cost me eleven dollars. However, eleven dollars. Eleven dollars. <laughs> Where is this flight from? Uh, <laughs> So it's a, it's I got credit card points, so it's just oh, okay, a redemption gotcha. fee. But this flight would have me like on a fifteen hour layover in Orlando, um, and so on one end I'm like, oh, that's a big ass layover. But on the other end, it's Orlando. I know a ton of people in Orlando. Uh, there's actually there's a piece of me that's like, there's some. Uh, Things I've been wanting to do and film with some people I know in Orlando. Hey, could I speak, possibly get to do that? So, speaking of, we we definitely got to take that invite from my TT yeah. to uh, do Square City podcast. Well, which is interesting because that's filmed in Orlando. So it is. Uh, that that wasn't even the one I was speaking on. But there's uh, things I've just been thinking about that I want to do, and like we talked about on the Red Velvet interview that we wanted to possibly. Um, do a video for uh for in the mix and i was like you know 15 hours is a good amount of time to get some stuff done hey so you know let me know where that i'm sure i'll see you somewhere before this year is over oh of course yeah but yeah i at the i i pretty much i was looking at arthur ash and uh seeing how the tickets are going uh they seem to be going fairly well i have a feeling that uh one they're like way more expensive than last year um i looked but the, at the ticket to arthur ash uh-huh i looked at the seats exactly where i sat last year and i'm pretty sure it's like double what i paid and inflation my brother inflation <laughs> that's a hundred percent inflation um and so just seeing that i i thought uh do i want to I mean, the good news is uh, I, I definitely have a little bit more of a hookup than I did at this time last year. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, no matter what, I think I'm going to go. So next, speaking of which, we then had uh, it was time for a celebration. It was time for the celebration of the AEW World Tag Team Champions. I said last week here on Day After Dynamite that I was going to fix the the intro on the song <laughs> that I felt like it was too low and tell me I didn't because uh, I thought it sounded much better this week. Yeah, it, it definitely sounded better. It, w- it was too low last week. Yeah, well, there's the thing. It sounded fine on my phone, um, but it was like... Yeah, uh, Google, Google Pixel 6 Pro, by the way. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you're a, you're in the Pixel family now. In, in the um, mix. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the because I look, I will play just the intro, like because uh, I have them both on my phone. So when I uh, let's just switch this, let's narrow this down to um, audio, because uh, in its original form on my phone it was this. And then in my uh, in its new form, it's whose house? <laughs> so I raised it like 15 decibels, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it sounded much better. So, okay, uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk about that. A shock. We're gonna talk about that right now because uh, this was a fascinating segment. Uh, Swerve, Keith Lee, uh, make their way down. Um, we get Swerve's theme followed by Keith Lee's theme. New graphics for both. Uh, we had the uh, tag title graphic displayed uh, on both their Trons. And then as they're in the ring, crowd is chanting, uh, bask in his glory. Uh, and then Swerve is like, oh, you got to hog all the glory, huh? And he's like, how about this one? Whose house? Crowd. Uh, very loud. Swerve's house. Um, and you see a cake at ringside. So immediately the thought is, oh, somebody's getting cake. The question is, whom? Uh, <laughs> and or I guess he, who? Who would be the question? Hmm. He got him. I don't know. Uh, either way. Depends on how you're answering, I guess. So uh, Swerve points out at ringside, there's Kevin Gates, uh, famous for... His hit song from 2016, Two Phones. Uh, and he's got a new album out, uh, which Swerve noted. And I have to tell you, when Keith Lee said, but I've got a question for you, Mr. Gates, I'm like, oh, he's going to ask about his cousin, ain't he? <laughs> I seriously Yo. thought Yo. he was about to ask him. Yo, I, I would have cut my TV off. <laughs> I would just cut the whole TV off. Like, no. <laughs> so, I, it was an interesting time to have Kevin Gates on Dynamite because he had just recently made um, headlines with uh, stories about relations with his cousin. Now, he didn't knowingly <laughs> enter into relations with... Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. 
How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This cousin. But he did say that, he said he didn't know, but he did talk about uh, the fact that once he was informed, he didn't exactly stop. Um, and so, yeah, Oof. I, uh, like the fact that that was making headlines just a few days ago. And then we have Kevin Gates here on uh, Dynamite. And I thought as soon as Keith Lee was like, I've got a question for you. And he said it in such a coy way that I thought, oh, he's going to bring it up. He's going to bring up the fucking thing. He's going to do it. Uh, but he didn't. Uh, instead, he asked him about the deluxe edition of the album. And yep. then, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, this, this was a very good segment. <laughs> I feel like um, I feel like often when they do stuff that is for us, it feels like, all right, how can we get as many references in here that they'll understand? But I feel like this, this was good because I feel like you got a lot of layered references here. You even got otaku stuff with Keith Lee coming out with his Naruto sweatshirt on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was cool. I I thought uh, I thought all the way to the end of uh, them doing the goofy cake stuff, and then you know Swerve taking the champagne over to West Side at the end and making that sure was, to get that West was a Side little, on camera. Uh, uh, a little Easter egg there, I guess, for people who don't know that um, Swerve Strickland doesn't drink, and so uh, when he picked up the champagne glass, I was thinking. What's he going to do with that? Or is that non-alcoholic? I don't know. What's he going to do? And he goes and takes it over to Westside Gun, and I was like, ah. Um, so <laughs> when when I when I noticed it, and I, I saw him take the champagne over there, I was like, okay, is it non-alcoholic? And then when Westside drank it, that's why he was like, I don't know what that was. I don't want that no more. And so <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, maybe it was non-alcoholic. And that's why Westside was like, nah. <laughs> Give me the real stuff. What is this? <laughs> Yep, um, but before that, uh, we had Mark Sterling interrupt. Um, we actually got a follow-up, because I was thinking about this. What was the follow-up to uh, the people against Swerve Strickland? Right. <laughs> I've been thinking about that for a couple of weeks. And, yeah, he, he brought that back up, and he was like, we've almost got enough signatures. Um, you should have signed Keith Lee. But you know what? I think Mark Sterling is a uh, a, a national treasure. I, I think he's great. I thought I thought the young M.A. I, I, here's a question for you. I know people that say young Ma. I know people that say young M.A. It has the period in there, so it makes you think young young M.A. But I, I I don't know because New York, I always think young Ma. <laughs> mm -hmm. But whatever. So he made the young M.A. reference and. Um, I think it was Andreas that put the picture of them side by side, and they do look very similar. <laughs> they look I very know. similar. Uh, the fact that he said it, but then, uh, then of course, Tony Nice uh, stands up for um, for Mark Sterling and gets decked by uh, by Kevin Gates. Holy shit! Uh, let me tell you 
that was one of the better worked punches. It, you know, uh, by that, a that looked stiff. That yeah. looked very stiff. <laughs> and you know, I did. I think tweet, a big piece of it was was Tony Nese. I think he sold it really well. He did. Um, but yeah, I did tweet during this episode that this was the blackest episode of Dynamite ever. And if you needed any more proof, this segment made it onto Shade Room. It made it onto Double XL. Um, it had over two million views when I woke up this yeah. morning on the Shade Room. Yeah, and so um, I, I think it also made TMZ. So. Yeah, it was cool to see that, you know, black wrestlers are coming in and not just being there as somebody on the roster. They're actually bringing in, you know, black viewers and and getting us on black outlets. I think that's what needs to happen. AEW desperately needs that. Yeah, I thought um, the black presence on this show, particularly on this episode, felt controlled by the black people in them. And yeah. that was, I thought, uh, really important. And that's something important that AEW's needed. And uh, I don't know. That was the thing I, I enjoyed about that more than anything else that I felt like um, everybody here felt like they were being basically fully authentic and and having fun. And that was the, the thing more than anything else. And um i saw you know a lot of criticism the 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 biggest things were one they felt like a wwe segment um sure kind of did um no i I can see that uh it it didn't bother me i thought it was a fun segment Um, but at the end of the day yeah i thought now this is one of those things where your mileage could vary right like if you don't know who kevin gates is if you're like not even Oh, and shout out Montezzi, by the way. Every single time they cut to Kevin Gates, I see Montezzi in the over background his shoulder. was hilarious every time. <laughs> um, and yeah, just seeing him over his shoulder the whole time, and I'm just like, uh, and and the way he's like, don't look in the camera, but like, kind of look off. That was great. Uh, shout out Montezzi for being there, um, and I know they uh, got to work pretty much in atlanta got to record uh some cool stuff like as soon as they were done uh the hardest working yep. guys in the building uh, yeah hip-hop mogul man i did think it was interesting that people i did see some people going why is he calling himself a hip-hop mogul and i'm like well you know he is an artist and you know i thought that that is kind of a nice way to reference hit row without actually making it hit row is still his thing mm-hmm. no it works yeah and so uh overall i had fun with the segment but i recognize that uh if you are a straight up wrestling person um this is not the segment for you whatsoever i get that um i saw people kind of dogging on the fact that they were like they went from the main event last week to being involved with tony niece and uh mark sterling to which i say who else were you going to put in this spot? Like if you were, you, you're having a show in Atlanta and you managed to get, um, three fairly mainstream names on this show. Right. And, uh, and it's like those said mainstream names are probably going to be going over, uh, in that sense. So then who do you put in that spot to go under them? And, uh, I feel like there's nobody I would have picked more than Mark Sterling who can have egg on his face or in this case cake. Uh, and also the, uh, and then 
somebody who can sell like Tony Nese did. Uh, because, you know, that was one of the things. Look, guest host era is some of my least favorite stuff. I can say yeah. that. But uh, I do think Dolph Ziggler was the right guy to sell a punch from Hugh Jackman, right? Because do- yes. nobody sells like Dolph Ziggler. And uh, he was the right guy for that. So, yeah. Um, I- I don't see this as a step down because I mean it got it did what it needed to do it got the mainstream attention, um, it made the point that you know these guys are not just like any other um, tag team champions they're the first black uh, AEW tag team champions of course shout out to Scorpio he was a champion before but they're the first two black men to hold those titles and so I think for them to come in their first week as champions and have this segment that is unique to them it matters. It does. No, I, I, I just, I had fun with this. And, uh, but of course I was going to. Um, people know this about me. You knew I was going to. So, uh, that is what it is. And I, yeah, I'm I, just ready for the next challengers. That's the only thing I, I was sad I didn't get out of this segment. But at the same time, they just got to look good. Uh, but I wanted to see who the next challengers were going to be. Um, I'm hoping that it's the uh, Lucha Bros. That would be fun. Uh, just I'm trying to figure out who you do in between now and All Out. I think All Out has to be FTR, but uh, between now and All Out, you know, we're, we've still got a lot of time. Who do you do in the meantime? And I feel like there's a few places you can go with that. So. We shall see. Yeah, I haven't looked at the ranking. I don't know who is top of the ranking right now. Well, like, Private Party was ranked last week, but then got beat by the Lucha Bros. So then that's where my brain went. Well, then you almost have to bring the Lucha Bros into uh, the top five. I know uh, Dark Order's ranked, um, and I'm saying all of this when I can just look. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I am now looking. So the ranked teams are... Varsity Blondes, who just got their asses kicked. Uh, And so they'll be out shortly. Uh, The Dark Order, um, Hobbs and Starks, and then Young Bucks and FTR. Uh, So we'll see who ends up making their way in. Boy, speaking speaking of private party, when I tell you that was the funniest thing this week to me is them beating down Matt Hardy on BT. Oh my god. Fucking hilarious, man. <laughs> I I have watched it several times <laughs> since Monday. Hilarious, man. Uh I do appreciate them acknowledging because uh Matt Hardy even said in his promo with uh or in the BT bit with the Young Bucks where uh he said, you know, I ruined private party. He's like, I came in after they had beaten you and had all the momentum and I just stole it from him. And, uh, that's, uh, and yeah, so he him, has to atone for that. Yeah. Him coming in and basically saying he, he, he didn't want them to succeed. He just wanted to take their money, which was always the, always the gimmick. He was always, yeah. he was always a shysty manager. That was always his, um, gimmick with them. But and now so he has I, to atone. Yeah. I, I liked the, him, doing the hurt me and then <laughs> first they weren't going to do it and <laughs> beat him down just all the little bits of it them them pulling the couch over on him hilarious so i missed the segment with the dark order and butcher and blade um i only heard about it uh this morning i thought oh shit i should go back and watch that and i never found the time so what happened there um uh, butch 
brought out a shirt that just said Butch on it. And for some reason, they got really mad at the shirt. I was half paying attention to it. Um, and then they just kind of beat them down. And it was, oh, no, for Butch. <laughs> that just sounds like a silver bit, and that's great. Because um, when I got back to the show, uh, I... Oh, that's how I missed it. Again, it's one of those, like... When your work is on TV, you like, uh, you want to kind of watch it over and over. So the thing I was like watching for <laughs> was uh, at the end of the segment when Swerve had hit the, uh, um, he had eaten the cake, and then the Who's House from his intro hits. I was watching in the background to see how many people were responding with the Swerve's House, and I, I was watching almost an instant reaction from people in the background. And I had like rewound it like <laughs> probably ten times, and I'm like, okay, let me get back to the show. And then when I got back to it, it was like in the middle of Christian and Luchasaurus's entrance. So yeah. uh, I clearly missed whatever was right before that. But I didn't think I missed anything. But it was Christian and Luchasaurus. They took on the Varsity Blondes uh, in a complete squash of yes. the Varsity Blondes. Um, yeah, I actually enjoy uh, Brian's um, promo this week on BTE. Mm-hmm. And the setup for this match was good. So I, I wondered, all right, well, they're going to come out and, and showcase. Nope, they got destroyed. I mm-hmm. really like the idea that Luchasaurus basically dominated the match. And Christian, who spent a year saying outwork everybody, just tagged himself in the end and took the win. <laughs> I've heard, um, and it's not to say it's because of anybody leaving, but I've heard that there's going to be some changes to the Varsity Blondes as... Uh, they go forward um, as I can see that. Yeah, um, I you think I, they're splitting them up. Yes. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, I have heard that, um, and I don't know how they get there, but uh, that is just what I've heard in that regard. Um, we'll see if that actually ends up happening because I, I have heard, I guess, what the plan is for one of them. Uh, but I will save that for another time and date. Interesting. Um, yes. Listen, I, I like Brian a lot in ring, and I do think that when he's motivated and when he has good material, he cuts good promos. Um, I know that he can be very divisive with people, but I enjoy him. I enjoy his in-ring stuff. I enjoyed his stuff that he did here for Warrior Wrestling. He was champion here for a minute. Um, I think that he has a ton of potential. Um, and I don't think that Varsity Blondes was a bad act. I just think that they happened to be in the midst of a very stacked tag division, so it was hard for them to ever move up. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, well, that then brings us to uh, the return of Jungle Boy, who looked... Like, he had a purpose. He had the stubble. Looked like a man on a mission. <laughs> jungle man. The jungle man. He makes his way down. Uh, got a big pop uh, yeah. for his return. And uh, uh, as he said it to the ring, Christian sends Luchasaurus to stop him in his tracks. And Jungle Boy has the chair ready to swing. But then Luchasaurus turns around. And uh, let's Jungle Boy through. Big pop for that. 
I've seen the criticism that this was too soon to turn Luchasaurus back, that he's kind of flip-flopped. But I will say, uh, I feel like they were very deliberate in the fact that Luchasaurus himself never really turned on Jungle Boy. He did stay aligned with Christian, but he, up to this point, never actually betrayed Jungle Boy. Um, that, you know, he, he, he came out to defend Jungle Boy's honor, and Christian was like, hey, remember Marco, remember Marco. Um, and so Luchasaurus ultimately listened, but they haven't really done to me enough to even have, like for Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, it's two guys who have been together since the start of AEW, and they've established that Jungle Boy has known Luchasaurus since he was a kid. Uh, and so to me, I feel like if they do ultimately end up going with a split, more has to happen to get there. Because otherwise, yeah. hit Luchasaurus just suddenly deciding, nah, Jungle Boy's my enemy um, after they've been together for so long, that to me doesn't work as well. That, and I, I also just feel like there's no reason to short the tag division right now. Uh, when I was going over the, like, the history of the tag team champions in my head because the graphic came up that Swerve and Keith Lee were the eighth tag team champs, and I went, well, SCU, no longer together. Um, and we have uh, Hangman and Kenny no longer together. And for the moment, it was like Jurassic Express also no longer together. So uh, mm. I feel like there needs to be a bit more to fully go into the turn because you could have him ultimately double cross him but I feel like him just suddenly deciding that nah I'm with Christian now wasn't enough for me and uh, I actually liked the moment uh, the crowd loved it Christian then takes off through the crowd and Jungle Boy just chases him down we never hear from them again <laughs> Yeah, that was that he could still be chasing him who knows <laughs> still chasing him um no, I was really surprised to see Jungle Boy. I thought it was good that they kept this one under wraps, and it was a legitimate surprise to see him. Um, boy, I get what you're saying. I was surprised that Luchasaurus, or as um, the homie Graham called him, Dino Cuz. <laughs> Dino Cuz. No, that's turned... if the mask was blue. <laughs> so, well, Luchasaurus just about faced on us, and it just felt like. I won't say that it felt too soon, but it made everything before it kind of feel inconsequential in the sense that he changed his entire entrance. He changed the color of his gear. He's been essentially being a Christian teeter. He's been beating down people for Christian and doing his dirty work. And so once Jungle Boy's back, he's like, ah, well, I don't remember none of that. And it's like, it was just last week. <laughs> I don't know if he was, I don't remember none of that. I think it was just more so, you know, why would I attack my friend more than anything well, else? Because at this point, they, we've never established that, you know, it, what we did establish was that uh, Luchasaurus was, you know, willing to do the dirty work for Christian. But as right. far as this person that he's known for as long as he's known him, like, I'm not doing that. Like, he just backed off. But that's not to say that he won't. I, I think that they could still go there. Um, right, and look, I, I'm fine with him not wanting to go that far and attack Jungle Boy, but again, just for him to do all of this for weeks and then just kind of turn around and go, well, that's old. Go ahead and beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he just let him through. He didn't 
It was more like a, hey, you guys handle this. I haven't picked the side here. That's true. That's fair. I didn't even think of it that way. It could have been that way, but I, I guess the way that they did the pop, it made it seem like it was a, it was a, it was a face turn, which it was. Mm-hmm. He just turned heel what a month ago. And you know what's interesting is I've seen two sides of the of the um, Luchasaurus argument because uh, I've seen some people who are excited, right? They're like, man, you know, I hate the dinosaur. I hate that he doesn't work like a big man. Um, I hate all the flips and the leg slaps and all of that stuff. Uh, so I'm glad they did something new with him. And then yesterday, for the first time, I saw the opposite. I saw somebody say, and I, I and I saw it echoed, but I saw somebody say, you know what? I loved how unique Luchasaurus was in the wrestling business, and I loved that he he was very much appealing to crowds. People were, you know, they chanted his name just sitting on the apron, and you took all of that and turned him into a generic big man. And uh, yeah, you, I took, thought, you turned him into Dinosaur Kane. Right. And so I do think it's interesting that like a lot of uh, purists about wrestling feel like, no, there's only one way for a big man to work and Luchasaurus wasn't doing it. This is how he should be working. And now they like it. And uh, the, But on the other side, I saw, hey, he was a really unique big man and you took that away and made him really generic. That sucks. So... I feel like you're only going to get one side of uh, of whatever the outcome for Luchasaurus is, and the other side's not going to be happy about it. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And I, I do think he was extremely over as a good guy, and I do think he was a unique act. I never understood the, the hate for Luchasaurus, because he's a, he's a fun act, and then it shows, like, it's just infectious to cheer for him, because he gets a loud reaction. I can tell you, and this was uh, just some of the weirdest joy I'd ever gotten. When the first show I went to after, or I'll say during the pandemic, the one time I went to Daly's Place when they were doing like the pod seating um, at Daly's Place, Luchasaurus was really over. <laughs> and it was like I had been, this was in April of 2021, April of 2021. So it had been obviously a year of not uh, over a year of not being in crowds so i almost forgot what the feeling of being in a crowd was like and so being in this crowd even with the pod seating and hearing people from their pods chanting for luchasaurus easily the most overdue there and this was at the house always wins by the way at a show nobody's still ever seen to this day you get to see the the, the famous cody rhodes versus aaron solo street fight um <laughs> That was actually the first time I had ever seen uh, Kenosuke to catch it alive, too, though. Um, so that was also uh, yeah, a dope um, experience. Very interesting that this was the first uh, AEW show in Atlanta, kind of without Cody, to do the Atlanta tour. And Cody still is topic of discussion, winning moment of the year. Uh, I know, right? It's it, crazy. Uh, Cody, I, I had tweeted that this was the first dynamite in atlanta it was the third time dynamite's been in atlanta but the first time that the show didn't have a big cody Rhodes stunt that the first atlanta show was known for cody jumping off the cage the second one was known for him going through the fire and for the first time there was no cody stunt but yet it still had a very atlanta identity in a very very different way Nah, uh, it, it was a different planet. It was, uh, was, it was a, chicken and waffles. It was it was varsity. <laughs> <laughs> this was 
the chicken and waffles episode of but well, which, so which by the way Atlanta folks I don't understand what is the big to do about varsity varsity is super overrated <laughs> you know what I'm talking about right mm-hmm. but uh, I mean hey Atlanta y'all have it with Phil Lindsay I feel like there are people in Atlanta who would probably agree with me like I, I get that it's a staple in Atlanta but it's kind of overrated <laughs> Well, we then had, uh, oh yeah, they announced for Rampage that there's going to be a rap battle between uh, Max Caster and uh, Austin Gunn. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I I need Austin Gunn raps, but okay, I'll take it. (laughs) Um, I know it's like a thing he's passionate about, so... <laughs> yeah, I, I need him to be careful, man. Those uh, those tweets are those tweets was a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something. So uh, but you know, just uh, you know, I don't know, man. Open challenge though for the FTW World Championship. Cole Carter is back, and he. Got to challenge Ricky Starks for the FTW Championship. Ricky Starks, I felt like this was the first real time he got to like truly. Ah, no, I guess the Brian Cage match he did, but he was really working like a face here, uh, and playing up to the crowd. And uh, Cole Carter, a lot of people on Twitter were comparing him to Theory, uh, which you know, being in the A Town was was also interesting. Um, Hey, before we get into that, though, I, I suppose I've kind of neglected the Super Chats here because uh, we've got a couple. Um, like Van Twinblade says, Trent, your mother and I are very disappointed in you. Shame on you, Trent. Uh, also said, uh, also stories of Will and Swerve being little monsters when they were kids because all kids are monsters are coming when exactly. Uh, not much of stories to tell on that because we didn't really know each other as kids like that. Uh, so... He's actually told that story on Talk is Jericho, is where we're told that story. Um, so that's that. Because uh, my dad didn't... Uh, the, the story there, is, I guess I'll tell it from my perspective, is that my dad is significantly older than his dad. Um, it's almost like, I think, like a 15-year difference between the two. So our dads did not really like grow up together like that my dad was like in the military when his dad was born uh or not born but like was a baby um so they they talk a lot now um now that one's in their 60s and the other's in his late 70s uh but for the most part they don't they didn't really have a relationship like that growing up so it was more like a you know call your way younger brother like oh how's your son doing oh how's your son doing and then it wasn't until uh, it was basically a catching up, and it was like, "Hey, how's your son doing? Oh, yeah, he's really into wrestling." And then it was, "How's your son doing? Oh, well, he's really into wrestling." And then it was like, "We should connect these two. And that's really how that all happened. Um, so uh, that's the story there. So the and it, it was wrestling was the bond uh, more than anything else. Um, and they said, Will, thank your pops for his service. Uh, I will. Actually, both of our dads, because uh, Swerve's dad, Stephen, Stephen Strickland, uh, he also served. So um, it runs. Swerve also did too, though. 
did. So this, uh, it runs in the family. Um, I think my dad ultimately like didn't want me to, but uh, I think he knows that I probably could have used some of the discipline, um, just in the uh, aspect of like keeping a room clean. Um, yeah. You know, I- <laughs> I, I won't tell you guys what my dad thinks of the military. People will probably be upset with that. Um, my dad's not a fan. He he doesn't. He he wouldn't have asked me to do that. <laughs> so the funny thing is, my dad uh, he's got his his views as well. He's definitely um, not a huge fan either. And his whole I, the whole reason he joined was because uh, his mom was like, "You need to do something with your life," and so. He just, like, got up and walked and ended up in, like, a recruiter's office. And uh, my mom, or my grandma was like, you either need to go to school or, you know, get a job or join the military. And he was like, well, I don't want to get go to school, so I'm going to join the military. And little did he know that, like, it's basically school. Um, and yeah. he said, but he found that out the hard yeah. way. My dad was in the Navy for eight years, eight months, and 12 days, as he likes to say. Uh, so anyway, Ricky Starks worked babyface all throughout this match. Uh, and there wasn't much to this. It went through a commercial break that, which was a little bit longer than I thought it was going to go. But for the most part, Ricky Starks just got to show out on Cole Carter and then beat him decisively. Ricky then grabs the mic after playing up to the fans and says, you know what? He feels like he's got a little bit more of the tank. He wants to keep it going. Let's bring out another challenge. And then uh, Danhausen's music hits. Uh-huh. Uh, and Starks then heals the crowd, turns it around, and he's like, I'm not going to accept that right now. I didn't mean nothing about right now. I meant next week. Next week is when you'll see me take on... Uh, yeah, challenge you or t- take on your challenge uh, at Fight for the Fallen in Worcester, Massachusetts. And so that's where that match is happening. And it sounds like Phil Lindsay's prediction is coming to fruition that uh, they found a way to tie together Hook's allies and ultimately bring Hook back into play. Because my guess is, based on that promo last week where Hook was asked by Lexi Nair, what's next for you, and um, are you after a championship? And I thought that meant Wardlow, but uh, it didn't even click with me that, no, that meant Hook is going after the FTW title because Hook's got Danhausen, a man he's tied to, but he's also still, according to Ricky, a member of Team Taz. Shout out the interview with uh, Nick Hausman. But, uh, yeah, um, I, I wondered because, uh, the, the, the two promos two weeks in a row, they had the, they had the promo in the row to before the tag title match and Ricky was great in that promo. He seemed frustrated. And then this week he did the promo and by the end of it, he was trying to sound more optimistic and it almost felt like a baby face promo. And towards the end of it, Hobbs was like, yeah, he, he put his, he interjected in. Starks looked like he didn't really like how he interjected. It was like a little bit afterwards where it looked like he wasn't feeling it. And so this week, he had a pretty good title match. 
And then when he put out the other challenge, it didn't seem like Taz was feeling what he was saying. He was like, yeah. nah, I, I, didn't, I didn't agree to that. And so it really feels like Ricky's turning. Uh, it feels like they're slowly turning him. And I can see Team Taz turning on him and Hook being the guy to take that title off of him. Because, I mean, essentially... It's his birthright. It's it's his. <laughs> um, it is. It is his, and uh, I think that's probably either all out or all out week. Hook versus Ricky Starks for the FCW title is the match we're getting, and uh, yeah, yeah. This, Hook this, ultimately needs to take the belt. This definitely feels like uh, Damian Wayne. Damian Wayne showing up in the in the in the back cave and seeing that Tim Drake is still going here, and it's like, no, what are you doing here? That's my mantle. That belongs to me. Get out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's. I feel like he's going to go out on his own, or this is the way to get him into a singles push, which I feel like that has been a long time coming for him. Um, if that's the way to get him into the TNT title picture, I think they've got to go for it. And I tweeted this, but, boy, he sounded a lot like The Rock during that promo, especially <laughs> when he did the Danhausen impersonation. Uh, I can that tell that somebody saw his because he had just done that in an interview this week, and somebody saw that and was like, "You got to go do that on TV." Um, so shout out Ricky Starks, that was great stuff. And uh, Ricky is facing Jan Housen next week. Yeah, um, fight for the fallen. I also feel like there's storied reasons for him to want the TNT title because I mean. That was that's essentially still the Cody belt. I know other people have have done great things with it, but it's Cody belt, and Ricky is a Cody guy. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the transition from him going to Team Taz guy to being kind of the heir apparent now that Cody is away. <laughs> I feel like there's good subtext there. Yeah, I even think about that. That's pretty good. So then we had a really really great segment. Uh, FTR comes out to talk about. Uh, their match this weekend with the Briscoes and uh, breaking news out of the Tony Khan um, media call today where Tony Khan revealed that the Briscoes are signed to Ring of I Honor. I was really, really surprised by that. Yeah, they are signed to Ring of Honor. It's signed for a long time. So the second there Interesting. Uh, uh, comes a Ring of Honor TV deal, uh, whatever that ends up being once they get regular weekly TV back, and that seems to be the goal. Um, I saw a lot of questions, actually. I've seen questions about, uh, and, and I wanted to talk about this, and I wanted to use the show to talk about it. So, I've seen people in wrestling media and in wrestling questioning, what is the purpose of doing a Ring of Honor show right now? Why bring in, why are we showcasing Ring of Honor right now when they don't have their own weekly programming? And I am shocked that that question is being asked. Completely shocked. I saw people that I actually respect asking that question without coming up with the actual answer. And it uh, surprised me. on the media call or just Just, on Twitter? No, just just like podcast things like that. Okay. And I'm surprised because, like, no shit. This is, like, the time to do it. And the reason I say that is because... uh, Think about Double or Nothing and what Double or Nothing, and I'm talking about 2019, the the original Double or Nothing ultimately was. So, obviously, AEW had gotten in bed with Warner Media at that point. We knew what 
we knew that they were in with Warner Media, but Warner Media kind of had to see exactly what AEW as a product was going to be before like doing a full-on commitment to this product on television with a, a debut date, time slot, all of that stuff. And it was like Double or Nothing ended up proving, hey, this is a quality product. It's shot like a quality product. It looks like something that belongs on television. It looks professionally done. Um, and it has wrestlers people care about, active crowds, all of that stuff. This looks like a TV product. And that was like almost the test for Warner Media, right? Because like Warner Media own, owns Bleacher Report. So at that point, running Double or Nothing on Bleacher Report. Um, gave Warner Media a pretty solid idea of what to expect. You know, obviously, if this many people bought it, this is how many people we can expect to probably tune in on TV on a regular basis. And then those way off. Uh, it turns out they it ended up above. And so, again, Ring of Honor airing on Bleacher Report. It's almost like the same formula here. This is the first Ring of Honor show fully under the Tony Khan umbrella. Like, obviously, Supercard of Honor was um was run by tony khan it was all AEW people there uh and the behind the scenes it was like literally an AEW production but it was like okay but tony basically had to take over a show that was already kind of already going the yeah. and it wasn't on bleacher report this time around now it's like okay they've established enough of a relationship with ring of honor and warner media to run or Warner Brothers Discovery to run this on Bleacher Report. Now it's a case of give an idea of how much interest there is in this Ring of Honor product to then gauge what kind of TV deal you can truly offer them. And I think that's really what this is all about. I think ultimately it's seeing what the interest level is like in this Ring of Honor product. And uh, I think buys for Death Before Dishonor, uh, especially with Warner having direct access to that because, again, they own Bleacher Report. Um, and knowing what the interest level is going to be will help decide what kind of money they're willing to spend on the product and what network they're willing to put it on and what time slot they're willing to give it. I think this is all ultimately a test for how the brand is going to do. And using the AEW platform to kind of boost it, I think, is is the move right now because you can't just put it out there and expect you know your twitter followers to uh buy it that's not going to happen um yeah. i think AEW had to be the product to sell it and that's what this is how much is the pay-per-view being asked in the chat uh the pay-per-view is 40 bucks uh this time around yeah um boy when you say it, i don't you know Warner Brothers owns Bleacher Report. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know that because there are certain people on Twitter that remind me of that every few months. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, what's interesting, though, Uh, we were talking about the uh, um, how mainstream outlets picked up the Kevin Gates stuff. What was interesting there was that uh, the TMZ put it out there, right? And TMZ yep. at one point was publishing a lot of AEW stuff. They even had Max Caster on TMZ Sports. They did. And they, they that used was, to do his freestyles on there. Yeah, but that was because TMZ was owned by Warner Media a year ago. Um, and TMZ had a pretty much it. It was just all keeping it all in the family, all corporate synergy. Uh, but TMZ, right before Warner was put up 
um, in the Discovery deal, TMZ was offloaded and sold to Fox. And so Fox now owning TMZ made it uh, somewhat of a conflict of interest to now have Max Caster actively having these uh, segments and all of that happening. Uh, and now, if anything, TMZ's best interest is definitely going hand in hand with the WWE product. Um, yeah. But they operate well, independently, just like Bleach Report operates independently. Yeah. Uh, I, won't, I won't get into that conversation. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, this... it, it'll get me into a, into a rant. But, um, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't understand why people wouldn't get what they're doing with uh, Ring of Honor. You've got to get Ring of Honor in front of more eyes because I know that Ring of Honor um, has a legacy for a niche audience, but I think it's important to get them back on the, at least the wrestlers that will be on ring of honor back on network TV and get more eyes on them and get more people interested in that product. So it's kind of twofold. It's, it's what you're saying. It's a way to gauge for the TV deal, but it's also, you've got to build that audience again. You've got to rebuild their audience because their audience dwindled basically to nothing. Like I know people that were still watching it regularly, but Again, that's a small crowd. You, if, if you're going to build to a bigger crowd, you've got to get those guys back on TV. Yes. So, yeah, I, I am interested and curious to see what uh, Ring of Honor uh, on a weekly show ends up being and what it ends up looking like. Um, I know Tony talked about presentationally uh, that Ring of Honor fans will be happy. So I'm curious what yeah. all of this is going to be. I'm really happy with the way Ring of Honor stuff looks like. Their graphics look very great graphics right now. Graphics are phenomenal. The, yeah, I, I love the way all of the presentation for the car looks so far. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see what the, the set is going to look like, if it's going to be different from Supercard of Honor. Um, yeah, I'm it, and it looks like an amazing card, so I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, Tom Talks Rubbish. Shout out Tom Talks Rubbish, he says. Just here to say what's up, fellas. Thanks for some great interviews. Ours has just gone up, Will. Yes, that was the interview I did with Tom Talks Rubbish a couple weeks ago. That's Appreciate now you. available. Um, and Christopher Swift says, uh, just a quick tip, because I dig D-A-D. Thank you for digging D-A-D. Got a couple more things to talk about from this show, um, in which we... Wait, wait, what was the tip? Oh, oh. <laughs> I thought he meant like a literal quick tip as in like feedback. No. <laughs> the, the tip, that was the tip. Uh, so oh. Dax, Dax uh, and Cash. Dax is becoming one of my favorite Mike guys in wrestling. Uh, and Dax told the story of a five-year-old uh, little girl that he knows. Um, and uh, found out that first she had an irregular heartbeat, but they sent her to a cardiologist, found out she had a hole in her heart, uh, but the doc said that if she worked hard, the hole would close up on its own. Um, but if not, she'd have to get surgery. And then three years later, an eight-year-old girl found out that the hole had completely closed because that girl fought her ass off. And that girl is Dax's daughter. And uh, I was like, oh, that, that's my heart. Damn. Yeah. Look. And uh, he turned it around and said, and I'm going to fight like an eight-year-old girl, uh, which was a dope line. And, yeah, we are going to see FTR versus the Briscoes. Two out of three falls. By the way, I'll be hosting this Saturday night. Uh, the post show will be hosted by myself and Denise Salcedo. 
uh, as we review Ring of Honor, Death Before Dishonor on youtube.com slash Fightful. So if you can't get enough of uh, Will Washington and Denise Salcedo antics, don't worry. There's a whole <laughs> lot more in the future. Uh, not just Saturday, but um, I guess I can't fully talk about that yet. But there's there's antics in the future. Yeah, um, this was really good. Um, the older I get, the more I am into man dad stuff well girl dad stuff or whatever um because i feel like um i i just saw thor over the weekend by the way and i feel like that was some of the most touching stuff in the movie um and i feel like the same stuff here uh dax has done a great job of not just turning face but getting people to connect with him whether that be with the promos or the renee interview um I really think so far he's wrestler of the year. Um, I just think the matches he's been putting on, the character stuff he's been doing, he's had an incredible year. You know what the hard thing about wrestler of the year to me is? Uh, because, like, I keep seeing people who... So, wrestler of the year is kind of a twofold thing. Like, it is, to me, part how the wrestler performed, but uh, also in part how the wrestler was booked and it's like i think ftr's tag team of the year is an easy pick for me yep. but like dax has only won one match uh this year as a uh in singles competition he's had some great matches but the only person he beat was cash uh and so i'm also on the other side of that where i'm like i don't know if i can fully give him wrestler of the year because while he's been an incredible performer um I don't know. He doesn't really like win. And so, like I said, it's like a twofold thing. Like right now I lean Moxley because Moxley is pretty much unbeaten this year, but also uh, he goes out there and has incredible performances. It was also Cody. Cody's up there because Cody not only has gone out there, had great performances, but Cody is booked as the, as the guy. And so, yeah. It'll be interesting at the end of the year. Yeah. I think Cody's case is kind of closed simply because... Yeah, if he won't be back. Because if he won't be back, then I can only go off his body of work this year. And while it's been a great body of work, everybody else has a chance. Like, literally, if Kenny gets to wrestle the rest of the year, he's wrestled as much as Cody this year. Because Cody had a three-month layoff in the year. Uh, if Kenny starts wrestling next month he'll and has matches every week or and at all the pay-per-views... He'll wrestle as much as Cody did. And so he could still come in with a late case for wrestler of the year. I don't know. Uh, we shall see. But right now, to me, it's Moxley. So, BET Dynamite continued here because uh, we had a... <laughs> uh, so we had a backstage segment. Um, and we established that uh, Willow and Nightingale would be teaming with... Uh, um, with Athena to take on two members of the baddies. Uh, Chris Statlander was left off. Interesting point was made here as Athena noted that uh, Chris is going to go after the um, the world title. And Chris mm. was okay with that. Um, yeah. The, the thing I noticed right away is uh, Statlander going... <laughs> Yeah, I was left off the team. Wonder why? And she did the slap. And at first, I was like, "You trying to say you got left off because uh, 
Don't have enough melanin? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> no, I got what she meant. It's because she slapped uh, no. Stokely. <laughs> no, before she put up her hand, I was like, what you trying to say? What you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're noting in the chat, Chris did give a little side eye to that comment as if Athena was trying to I, send her I off. I did. I did yeah. notice that, and I did notice how she was reluctant to put her hand in at the end. Mm-hmm. I I was like, because hmm. I think she will come back in and say, "Wait, when do you get to just decide that Jade is all yours?" No, I want my. I've wanted my hands I, on Jade yeah. just as long as you. I've been predicting a triple threat for a while. I think it's going to be a triple threat match. Oh yeah, triple threat is the way to go because I think a triple threat would be the best way for Jade to be her title reign to be in the most peril. That, yeah. um, that you know, to be in a situation where she might not even be able to, uh, she doesn't have to be pinned to lose, but she still gets that blemish on her record. I think that would put her in the most peril, and all of a sudden it's like, uh, yeah, she no, hasn't she hasn't had a triple threat match as champion yet, and I feel like there's two ways you can do that. She could either win this and dominate both, or you know. You could pin one of them and still make that to match later on, or she could steal one. There's, there's a, a few. Yeah, she now. can steal this win, or she could lose, and move on to the main title picture, and it wouldn't hurt her. I think she's gonna stay champion a really long time. I, feel I, like, I do too. I think she'll I feel still like be that champion. Was made for her. That uh, uh-huh. yeah. it looks great on her. Like there's no reason to do anything else but yeah, keep I agree. That TBS title with her. I think she'll still be champion well into 2023 when we can possibly get Mm -hmm. Sasha sliding in there. Uh, But, you know, (laughs) it's just me. Uh, So this was fun, though. So this is Willow Nightingale's first time on Dynamite. Uh, And so I was really happy to see her get to be exposed to the greater audience, to the larger audience. And uh, she was out there just kind of doing her thing. She... um, I was happy that she got to show out and really get to show people what she's made of and who she is. And it sounds like she's going to have a strong presence kind of uh, everywhere. Uh, There's going to be the possibility of her having a strong presence. It sounds like she's going to be a big part of the new Ring of Honor. Um, Yeah, she's on the card. She's on the card. Death Before Dishonor. I just think the world of Willow Nightingale... um, and I think she has the abilities and the presence to be a really strong baby face and that kind of role model type personality that we haven't seen that, that like I, I thought Bailey was for a long, I mean, we all not even thought we all knew that Bailey was, but that's a character that we've kind of abandoned. And I don't mean role model in the sense of like being a heel and calling yourself a role model, but I mean <laughs> somebody that like young girls can get behind and uh, I feel like Willow just has that personality and that presence, and she brings it in the ring. And like I said, she got the showcase here. It was fun. Uh, And ultimately, though, Athena left her hanging. And uh, there were some cool spots here. I I like the um, Athena and uh, Jade doing the double kip-up. Yeah, that was great. Um, Man... I know we talked about it on Grapsy last week, and you were like, look, they've got a touch, but 
when they got in the ring together and they did their stare down and the way the crowd erupted when they were in the ring together, I was like, okay, it's working. It's working. Yeah. Hold it, off on the match because it is. I it's just building don't anticipation. Can you really keep it till all out? <laughs> I don't think that they can, but I'm just, I think that it is working. I think they can do a triple threat in between there and possibly get to Athena versus Jade all out. Um, I don't know. But I do, they do need to pull the trigger on some kind of title match with the three of those women soon. Um, but definitely watching this match, um, I don't know how many times I have to say this. Jade is the A champion. Jade is it. Jade is her. Um, watching her come out and getting the loudest reaction, like, and come she on, had, man. We didn't even talk about it. She had Jermaine Dupree with her. And uh, my daughter's like, who's Jermaine Dupree? And I was like, oh. Beta, let me tell you. I pause the TV and I pull up my phone. Pause the TV. You know? Well, because I'm like, look, here's the thing. Uh, we have, that was like, there are songs you know. And as soon as I play them for you, you're going to hear the voice at them and then go, oh, him. And like, first one I played, the song she knows very well. Everybody knows it. I played Let's Get Married, right? And at the very beginning, uh, I, I showed her the video and I pointed, I'm like, him. She's like, oh, him. And then I was like, what else can I play for you? And it was like, wait, you know me, I'm a Mariah Carey guy. There's plenty of options, but I ended up pulling up. It's like that. I'm like, I, I was immediately gonna say that. Yeah, I'm like, the song Veda knows very well, and it's uh, um, so, a legend. But and luckily, he happens to look exactly the same now as he looked in the "It's Like That" yeah, video. No hair. Yeah, yeah, no hair. It's so uh, I showed Veda. I was like, that person right there, and she's like, oh, that Jermaine Dupree. And so that no, was kind of cool. And yeah, they're talking about the chat, uh, money and thing. Um, Come on, I man. Mean, Legend, bro. Crisscross. Yeah. Uh, the Criss amount Cross. of people that he's worked with, the Brett. Look, I Legend. was a big Crisscross guy. So, uh, you know, I always think about the opening line of Warm It Up and the, will you listen to how smooth it is? <laughs> listen to them. That was Jermaine Dupree. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, come on, man. Yeah. Legend. And so. Legend. So, to have him in, in at an Atlanta show was was huge. To have and him coming out I would say, with what Jade. Would you, what would you even say is the biggest Jermaine Dupree hit song? Uh, probably Welcome to Atlanta. That's what I was going to say. And so <laughs> uh, I feel like perfect place for him, perfect place to use him. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jade's the hometown girl. It made sense. Um, yeah, everything made sense, and it, it clicked here. And the fact that like people popped for seeing Jermaine Dupree here, I think that was yeah. cool. This, it really did feel like Atlanta. It was. It did. Uh, Stokes sitting next to to JD during the match, which, by the way, Stokes has had the greatest glow up since leaving NXT, and just <laughs> letting letting him be Stokely, I think is the it's it's just it's perfect. Like, yeah. it, it seems like such a simple idea, but just let him be him. Just let him be genuine. He's going to bring in the things that you guys don't understand. He's going to make references that they don't understand, but will understand. Um, and he's perfect. He's perfect with them. Listen. His references are so great. Listen, Lee, I know, you, I know you're questioning it. I know you let my man tear that card up for you, but don't listen to him, man. It, it, go, roll with Stokely. You don't have to, don't have to do this Matt Seidel stuff anymore. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Matt Seidel might be joining the vlog crew. Who knows? Yeah, Anybody no, watches no, the no. vlog this week. Um, and finally, closing out, we had uh, barbed wire everywhere matching. He was even covering the mic. Uh, and we had the Jericho Appreciation Society makes their way into the shark cage, but 
people note that uh, Sammy Guevara is not there, and neither is Ty, but they're Jericho Appreciation Society members. They have to be involved here. Ruby so, Soho, of course, well, the reason he wasn't in the cage is people were to assume he wasn't hurt. He's still hurt from the yes. from the blood and guts match. But yeah, it did. It was glaring right away that he wasn't in the cage, and I was like, okay, he's gonna interfere. Yes. Uh, and so match is pretty aggressive. Eddie pretty much spent the whole match just like tossing Jericho around. Um, it, it's interesting that. For as much as the Painmaker is built up as this threat, yeah, the undefeated Painmaker, um, it's mostly like Jericho getting his ass beat until he like <laughs> uh, somehow ekes one out, Painmaker, um, and that's that's what this match was. Like Jericho came out, not gonna lie, when I saw that mask, uh, I was like, oh no, is he in blackface? And then. Uh, Look, what I because I didn't think it was a mask at first. I thought he just painted his face black, and I'm like, no, no, I'm like <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> it's basically a Jabberwocky mask. It's a black I know, Jabberwocky and it was a, yeah. When I finally saw it, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Oh, God. <laughs> for a second there, I saw it and I almost panicked. Um, and so, um, nah, but yeah, again, Jericho works these matches as the pain maker. And they, this is not the first time we've seen the Pain Maker plenty of times in AEW. But again, then the match starts, and he just, like, gets his ass beat. And that's what this match was, was, like, Eddie Kingston was putting him through everything, and everything had barbed wire, and Eddie Kingston was kicking the shit out of him this whole match. Uh, but then the tables turn when uh, Ty Conti makes her way out. And as I predicted, uh, <laughs> so Anna Jay... Makes her way out to stop Ty, or does she? Because then she attacks Ruby Soho, Ty J, back together, still together. There was never any dissension between them. They are thought it was Dark Order forever, man. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I knew. But the question now is, who helps Ruby? Uh, but anyway, so then. Uh, this was kind of where the match fell apart. So, um, Ty then takes the key that Ruby was uh, guarding, and she goes to unlock the cage, except like she can't. And so, the, yeah, she was she was she was stumbling. She was stumbling. Uh, the JAS members uh, find a way out. Eventually, they get it open because Jake Hager <laughs> just like slide. They just slide out the bars. Well, Jake without... Hager like tries to climb through the bars and like can't. And so they eventually do get it open. Um, hey, next time, just, like, gimmick the lock. Um, it doesn't need to actually be locked. Yeah, wa- watching those guys slide <laughs> through the bars, I was just like, okay, why did we need the... Well, it was elevated, so at least they could have... Yeah, it, it You just, can say that they may goofy. have fallen to their demise or something. Um, but then... Uh, so they come in, but then in comes the uh, Blackpool Combat Club to even the odds. Uh, they take out Jericho Appreciation Society, but then Sammy Guevara makes his return. Sammy Guevara, who was thrown off the cage just a couple of weeks ago, um, has returned. He helps Jericho take the victory. Jericho wins. But does he? Then we get this uh, kind of really sloppy ending uh, post-match where uh, Eddie tries to hit the back fist on 
Jericho, but like kind of whiffs it, and then he just ends up throwing Jericho through this like box of barbed wire. It sucked. The ending didn't look good at all, uh, no. and I almost would have just had Jericho stand tall, um, rather yeah. than do what they did here. Man, I'm uh, not as down on Jericho winning as a lot of people are. I know that people are just like Eddie should have just won the feud. I agree with that, but I also see that if the plan is to transition Eddie over to Eddie versus Sammy, uh, so Eddie and Ty versus, um, or, sorry, Eddie and Ruby versus Sammy and Ty, if that's the plan, then I see Sammy getting revenge for Blood and Guts as a good way to start that transition like either way jericho and eddie does not need to continue like the fact that they played that video package and they they showed us that this feud literally started back in january no december it started at uh new year smash which was in december yeah uh has been going this long well new year smash was in january right no um new year smash was the last dynamite so the 2021 was in january but this year's was the last dynamite of um, 2021, not the first one of 2022. So, yeah, um, it's been going that long. Yeah, look, this. I thought the match started really well. I thought uh, Eddie getting the one up on him to begin the match and basically dominating until it turned into a smash was good. Um, I understand the story you're telling of Eddie beating him in a one-on-one match, but Jericho only winning with help. I get we're spo- what we're supposed to take away from that, but I once once JAS got involved, I was not enjoying any of it. I yeah, think it got very like sloppy. And that's where it fell apart. And man, Jericho did not need to win this match. I, I he did not need to win this match. I, and I I noticed this every time with the Jericho feud. You'll give the other guy the wins, and then he'll always come and get the win in the rubber match. They did it with MJF. They've done it before. And it always, they did do it with Orange Cassidy, though. I at least appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> Orange but, Cassidy yeah. got to ultimately go over Jericho. He, he, yeah, he did need this win, and to basically give him the win, and then do the Jericho gets thrown through something again as come up and thing, didn't work for me. He looked goofy, shaking like he was getting tasered at the end of the match. It just didn't work. I, I wasn't into it. I know. It. I've seen some people kind of speculating because of Jericho's win loss record. And the fact that uh, he's never had a return title match that before Punk returns, they do Jericho and Moxley one more time. Um, and then that's kind of the stopgap to like end the Jericho Appreciation Society versus Blackpool Combat Club stuff. Like, oh, I guess ultimately it does need to end with like the leading figures. Yeah. The victories. It, <laughs> it was what it was. Um, I did think it was great that that Eddie came out and was on fire and starting. The I night, enjoyed the match really up until the everything. The, the with, smash. Once it turned yeah. into the brawl, I wasn't into it. Um, yeah. But yeah, Eddie coming out and saying, yelling shark week immediately was hilarious. Um, Loved it. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun match up to that point. That finish just didn't do it for me. And again, I just didn't think Jericho needed to win the match. Yeah. Didn't like it either. And folks. Um, so. Normally around this point, I then talk ratings, but uh, we don't have them at the moment. Uh, They are not out. Uh, Looks like there is a bit of a delay with uh, broadcast ratings from last night. Um, I was curious how the ESPYs, uh, like everything, I just want to know how everything did. So 
Um, <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, no ratings at the moment. So we are just going to peace out now and say thank you, Phil Lindsay, for joining me on uh, Day After Dynamite here. And we'll have another edition of Day After Dynamite this weekend. Don't forget to check out Grapsity this Saturday featuring myself, Phil Lindsay. And then there'll be one more guy right down here. His name's Righteous Reg. We love Righteous Reg. Um, and that'll be the Saturday noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And that's at youtube.com slash Fightful. And then also we've got another podcast later in the evening where I'll be hosting the Ring of Honor post show uh, with Denise Salcedo. So there's uh, lots more podcasting coming up for me. I'm actually doing a podcast here in half an hour, which is why I got a dip. So uh, that's it for this edition of Day After Dynamite. I'm Will Washington. He's Phil Lindsay. See you next time. Have a great day. Peace. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.